sound like a you sound like like what I should be saying. You sound like an old person who isn't able to sort of make peace with reality. The reality is we have cell phones, the reality is we have Facebook, the reality is we have tweets and all of this stuff. How you interact with them or how you choose to use them is your individual choice. But I don't agree that people are not kind and do not open doors and don't look you in the face. And they do. And they do that in New York more than any place else. The biggest city and the people are the kindest. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist. Welcome back to Landline, folks. Thanks for joining us. Big shout out to Australia. Looks like we've got a lot of listeners coming in from there, judging by the stats I can see. Or they're Russian trolls trying to infiltrate the inside dope of hipster America. Anyways, as always... Good to have you here. Would love to have you call in. You know, I was thinking about calling the landline, and one thing you can do is call the landline and leave a message about landlines, about why you wish there was a landline in your life, about an experience you had recently with a landline, or you could just talk about cell phones and how much you hate them. Everybody has three or four stories a day that they can share with our landline listeners about how cell phones are ruining the world. We need you to call in. Tell us about it. <clears throat> so today on the show, we're talking to my mom. That's right, my sister, then my mom. That's where this podcast has gone. But both are smart. Both have a lot to say. And my mom is going to give us the baby boomers perspective on the current political climate. Roy Moore, Donald Trump, Richard Nixon, Vietnam War protests, and what it's like to have a son who is completely crazy about technology and the future and how it's ruining everything. But before we start, new feature of Landline, I'm going to read something I wrote at the beginning of each show, give you an insight, <clears throat> give you an insight into the brain of the person who's trying to create a brand with his podcast. So this is dated March 5th, 2013. And it's a cover letter I wrote to apply to work at Stumptown Coffee, very well known now, pretty well known then, um, living in Portland, looking for a job that would get me on some sort of professional career in food. And I think the landline listeners will be able to understand the takeaways here without too much side commentary. <clears throat> here we go. Dear Yvonne... That's Y-V-O-N-N-E. I'm very excited to apply for the full-time customer service position currently listed on the website. I have been closely monitoring the Stumptown job listings for weeks with the hope that a position in sales and distribution would become available! Exclamation point. In addition, my close friend Steven Chaprinka, assistant manager of the Belmont Cafe, 
enthusiastically encouraged me to apply. <clears throat> this position looks like a great fit for my experience level and skill set. I am a seasoned salesman, a great communicator, and a huge fan of Stumptown Coffee, second exclamation point. Parentheses, I first developed a habit at Thump Coffee and Bend and more recently have been enjoying it at the various retail locations around Portland. Close parentheses. I'm excited by the idea of working with many different types of customers, white people in different areas, and I think interacting with the various company departments would be a great way to integrate myself and an incredible opportunity to learn. My career in food business to this point has been enlightening and comprehensive. Most notably, I created, operated, and sold a mobile vending business selling handmade brick oven pizzas at major concerts, festivals, and catered events. What started as a fledgling sidewalk experiment became a mobile boutique pizza factory, serving up to 80 pies an hour with a staff of five. The experience taught me great lessons in customer service, profit and loss, branding, company correspondence, event production, employee management, system dynamics, and more. This is a job for $14 an hour, by the way. In addition to the pizza cart, my professional experiences have honed my ability to analyze, prioritize, and execute. I understand the importance of clear, cogent, and concise communication in sales, branding, and customer service. The position described looks like a great opportunity to apply these skills in a company I would be honored and incredibly excited to work for. I really hope we can meet in person to discuss the position further. Third exclamation point. I think it could be a great match. All the best, Alex McKay. <clears throat> well, briefly, let's talk about that match. I was given a three-month trial. As I said, $14 an hour. I sat in a windowless room, looked at QuickBooks and Excel, answered the phone, and called wholesale customers to ask them whether they needed 5, 10, or 25 pounds of coffee delivered this week. At the end of that three months, I was told by my senior manager that I seemed like a great guy, but I wouldn't be a good fit. So that's Stumptown Coffee. Anyone out there who wants to work there, feel free to transcribe my cover letter Enter your own information, but you can keep all of the details of the pizza cart, concerts and events, profit and loss. And you can get a job and work someplace that feels cool, but is really a waste of your time. Now let's get to the show. Richard Nixon, Roy Moore, Trump, board games, landlines, and having a son who's a psychopath and won't let you get an Alexa. Adios. See you at halftime break. Landline. Mom? Yeah? Welcome to Landline. Thank you. I've never been so nervous for a podcast in my life. I'm kind of nervous myself. That's how you... I'm not sure why you're asking me. Because I need more female voices. I approve. And because um, I think a nice balance of sophomoric humor from my high school friends with some real-world commentary is necessary if I'm going to take this thing anywhere. Okay. Makes sense. 
And I think that a baby boomer woman's voice is intricate to the social commentary at this point in time. Right. I agree. So we're on the eve of the Roy Moore election results. Yeah. I'm nervous about that, let me tell you. Do you, I mean, is there any chance he doesn't win, I guess is my first question. I think the only chance that he doesn't win is if by some miracle people are able to get out the African-American vote and perhaps if women go to vote and don't really tell people who they're voting for and choose to vote against Roy Moore. Do you think that this, like, what do we know about Doug Jones? Does anybody know anything about the other guy? I mean, do we know that he's not the Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan himself? No, I I believe, and I could be completely wrong about this, that he is um, a lawyer and that he... When there was a bombing in uh, Alabama, I'm not sure where it was, where some little girls were killed, that he prosecuted that case. So have you ever been to Alabama yourself? I've never been. Never been. And what do you think about this whole dynamic of sort of the liberal elite press invading this area and kind of further making people frustrated about the very thing that they voted for Donald Trump for in the first place? Um, well, I think that when the liberal elitist press or whatever you want to call them goes and covers that, I mean, it's a story. You have to you have to give the press that. It's a story. The, it's sort of a sordid, titillating story in all, the ba- in all bad ways. But a man who is, um, you know, accused of sexually molesting underage girls is probably going to win an election in Alabama and has won elections in Alabama. You can't make that stuff up. And like, yeah, I mean, it's if I didn't know, I mean, it's a way that they go, they investigate, we get all up in arms. We meaning the liberal elite, if that's what you want to call us, we then send money to the opposition. We become incensed. We give more money to whatever organization we think is going to help in the future to make sure these things don't happen. I mean, it's just it's the way of the world. So not to really jump to big picture issues so quick because we haven't even talked about your chili or the fact that once you were on speakerphone, Ishii came downstairs. Oh, Ishii. But, um, but uh, Ishii the dog appearing on Landline once again. So wh- I guess what wh- what makes us even want to be not that not that we, but there's clearly a divide in the country. And that's actually one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on was to discuss how this divide matches up against other divides that you've been through and what it's like to exist in in periods of time where you thought that something could never be worse politically, which I feel like probably the 1968 uh, Chicago Democratic Convention was like and the Nixon Watergate scandal was like and, you know, other times of your of your lifetime. But what what makes us want to stay as part of the same country as these people in Alabama or what makes them want to be part of the same country as us? You know, I had an incredible history teacher in college who 
once posited the idea that what if the United States had actually broken up after the Civil War instead of stay together and all the ripple effects that would have had in history, specifically with international military dominance. And, you know, it just seems so crazy to me that this Roy Moore chapter is just something that will continue to come up where people who have lived lives that are completely backwards in the eyes of some will become elected and those who didn't want that person to be elected will feel completely crazy about the fact that someone with that character and you know skin color or um, political or religious background could be in a place of power not that it's a fair comparison but think about all of the white supremacists and um, religious conservatives how they all felt after Obama was elected it must have been like the world was on fire right in in their eyes he was like a black Muslim who was now going to be the head of our country and give all their money away to poor black people. So, I mean, obviously I don't feel that way, but how do we, how do we exist in a country where such, you know, polar opposites are in charge of the same government in a way? Well, I don't know. We, we live here because that's where we live. So there's really nothing we can do about that, but it, but I really believe that we've become so polarized. I mean, you know, this is an old story, but people refuse to listen to anything that anybody says on the other side, whatever the other side is. So nobody is, there is no common ground. And we got to take Roy Moore out of that. I mean, I don't, but the idea that people will vote for Roy Moore because they can't vote for a Democrat. And the reason they can't vote for a Democrat in Alabama, it seems, is because he's pro-choice. So that one issue, or theme, it, it, at least that's what is being reported, that that one issue is preventing people from thinking about all of the other issues. Do you you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm just, I'm thinking about it. I, I, you know, it, it, I don't see any world where that one issue goes away. Who's the first to, who's the first to blank? Go away, but, but we, I've said over and over again, I am, I don't think that it's the worst. Well, if having Trump as president is, is horrifying to me personally. However, as each day goes by and another thing happens that is seems more horrible or uncouth or stupid than the day before, I think to myself, we're, we were in such bad shape, apparently. People, exactly what you said, were so horrified about Obama's election so there and no and no party listens to the most downtrodden people that it's almost as if there was a revolution that's how he got elected from the people who never were listened to and now out of this horror ha- has to come some good so let's say they decide which i think will happen to do away with all kinds of programs that the the Congress 
does away with programs because of the budget. Like it, the simplest one is um, the National Endowment for the Arts, right? Because that right that Pub- is public a, television. Char- yeah. The Charlie Rose, I, the Charlie Rose Vacation House. Sorry, say that again. The Charlie Rose Vacation House. Yeah. Okay. So, but I mean, I'm all for it. I think art is the most important thing in the world, or one of the most important things. But we have to get other people to see that. So, if you take things away, people are going to be able to decide what it is that they really want. And if the majority of the people don't want public TV, that's fine. That's that's the that's democracy. But those of us who do want public TV and think it's really important, we'll have to take our dollars and give them to public TV. And that's classic sort of conservative philanthropy uh, thought, the Carnegie-Rockefeller model that the government shouldn't be in charge of providing services that people... With you know that the do-gooders should, and even if you look at like the Koch brothers, who are the most anti-government handout of anybody on earth, they are they've endowed the Met and all these different museums in New York with all these different wings, and you know they've probably paid for the redo of the uh, Metropolitan Theater, whatever it's called, where the opera is, and they're on the board of all those things, so. I don't know how that really gets together with your point, but I think that they're, I mean, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about private enterprise paying for, you know, philanthropy and public services? Well, I, I mean, I believe we should all help to pay for things, those things that matter to us that the government doesn't pay for. Everybody should contribute to some thing, no matter how little they have, a dollar is enough. But I think we have to have a conversation. This will never happen, but we need a conversation in this country about what is it that we think the government is responsible for. So we would probably all agree that the government is responsible for the military, right? Yep. Whatever that is. We don't know what decision, it would be responsible for the military. The government, is the government responsible for our health care? Well, most people say, many people say no. Right, and many people say yes. So let's discuss it. Right. Is it responsible for our education? Well, I mean, there... there's an issue where do we actually want the problem with the government being in charge of our education is Roy Moore is the government. Do you want Roy Moore part of your child's education? But he's not part of my child's education. I mean, he will vote in the Senate, but he's part of really he Roy Moore thinks that Alabama should be responsible for its education and that the Bible should and the Bible should be the only textbook. Right, but he he can't. That would mean that the entire government would have to say the Bible can be the only textbook. At this point, if Alabama, if the majority of people in Alabama think that the Bible should be the only textbook, maybe the Bible has to be the only textbook. And maybe the survival of the fittest will allow Alabama to sort itself out. I mean, all these Alabamans who are against the national government and food stamps and Medicaid are actually the ones using it. So I just think that this whole 
point of view about how the government is ruining everyone's lives, who are the people who are actually taking those funds from the government? It, it, it's all backwards. But regardless of that, can we just get a little bit more on topic on how bad things are right now? Like, do you remember when Richard Nixon was president? I do. I remember very well. And he created the EPA, something that, at least in my point of view, is the worst part of the Trump administration right now, is how they're stripping the EPA of all of its powers. Right. So, and there were other things he did. I don't really know Reagan from a presidential historian point of view, but I know that he established relationships with China and that he, you know, he must have done some good. How bad was the national dialogue around Nixon the way, you know, if you compare it to the national dialogue around Trump right now? Well, there there are a number of things that you have to understand about me answering these questions. Number one, when Watergate was happening, first of all, don't forget that it's Nixon, it, it isn't Watergate. Really, that was just the end. It was the war. Gotcha. Right? It was Vietnam. And Vietnam was bad. It was bad in so many ways. You probably don't want me to go into a whole thing about it, but what I look back on now and how I feel about how I felt about the war, how I behaved during the war, um, how my mom and dad behaved during the war, the conflict between me and them, which and how it became resolved. It that was bad. It was it was really a sad time. Well, tell us what you're willing to tell us about it. Well, do you want? Well, the. I mean, you're talking they, about it's it's a fascinating picture into sort of the generational divide between. Um, you know, political affiliation. And I don't think that there is a, a common thread between that and Trump because I don't think many kids were against Trump whose parents voted for them. But maybe I'm wrong. It seems like maybe there is a more myopic view from a family standpoint now than there was then. And at least there was a youth in revolt um, in in the era of, of Vietnam that that provided a counterpoint to their parents where I, I feel like we've now gone into sort of this tribal warfare where everybody just sort of agrees with each other around the table. But I could be wrong. Well, I don't think everyone does agree but around the table. I think plenty of families talk about how difficult it is when they all get together, at least people that I know. But if you want me to get to the, to the part about Trump, this, I was a um, – when Watergate happened, I was – Working in New York, a single young woman in a city that isn't anything like the city you know New York to be now. And I was busy living my life. I no longer, I mean, I participated in some anti-war stuff, but nothing, I didn't have the time that I had when I was in college and high school, right? So I was working and reading the paper, and that was kind of my, the place that I was. And maybe you can relate in that you have, and then as time went on, I married Dad, I had you guys. My political connection was very slim with what was going on, because I was just trying to get through the day with kids and, you know, soccer and all that kind of stuff. Does that make any sense to you? Sure. And we had 
the paper and the television. That's where we got our news, maybe the radio, but you came home, you watched the news if you were so inclined. There was no cable TV. There was no constant news. There was no Facebook. There was no Facebook. There was no discussion like that. Now what's happening is, and like there are people I know, and your uncle Peter is one of them, who is completely obsessed with the television and fearful of missing one tiny bit of news about something that really isn't that important. Okay. So now what happens is it it may or may not be worse. I think it's worse because I think Trump is just and not in any way qualified to be president of the United States. Richard Nixon was pre- was qualified to be president of the United States. I just didn't happen to agree with him on a lot of things. Right. So it was it wasn't okay. So let, let's like bring this to a few you know sections of point here. You're saying that now people are obsessed with the news and TV for no reason. Basically, they're just into it for something to do. And back then, people were more politically active, and they had to actually engage with the sources of news in a way that was more thought-provoking? No, no, no. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you weren't bombarded with it. Okay. And so it didn't become the only thing that people are really thinking about. So what I'm trying to say, I'm not being very direct about it, but is is it worse now? It, It The man who's president isn't qualified and that's a terrible thing but beyond that we're just he's tweeting the news is constant if you turn the tell you know if you go to msnbc or you go to fox it doesn't matter which side you're on and so it seems like the world is coming to an end right and for a lot of people that's i think kind of bringing them into an, a world where they actually have no sense of reality anymore. I mean, yes. I, I, they, they, it's almost like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy of everybody saying like all of our communities are broken and our social interactions with each other on a personal level are broken and that you can never get anyone to do anything for you, open a door as you walk into the building. And yet everybody is kind of engaged in this, world where all they're doing is saying that but they're saying it all online they're saying it all on the television they're emailing to each other so they're all part of the problem no one is taking a personal action step to detach from the world they're complaining about you know at a dinner table everyone will be complaining about how everyone uses cell phones and then the next morning everyone will just be using their cell phone too much so you have to take you sound like a you sound like like what I should be saying, you sound like an old person who isn't able to sort of make peace with reality. The reality is we have cell phones. The reality is we have Facebook. The reality is we have tweets and all of this stuff. How you interact with them or how you choose to use them is your individual choice. But I don't agree that people are not kind and do not open doors and don't look you in the face and they do and they do that in new york more than any place else the biggest city and the people are the kindest 
Okay, quick break. We're going to check in with last week's show. My sister Phoebe giving a holiday shopping gift. She's an expert in fashion and shopping. The show is way better than this call. I can promise you that, but it gives you the uh, tone of her voice so you can get your ears ready. You've got Landline. Hello? Landline. Hello? Are you there? Yeah. Am I on the podcast right now? That's it. You're on. Okay. Uh, I listened, and I actually thought that I sounded better than I expected. You sold one pair of Allbirds socks. I got a text message that confirmed from, that. From whom? Just a, one of our listeners in Australia. One of the transsexual listeners in Australia. <laughs> Perfect. Um, is that a good? Is that like what's that like for a return on investment? Well, if they like, I haven't set up a referral program with Allbirds from Landline Podcast, but I guess we could do a click-through code like radio no, shows do. I meant on like when you have guests on and they suggest certain things. Is one out of how many listeners do you have? You know, going on and buying it a good a good. Ratio. Yeah, well, of our 300 million listeners, we sold at least 23,000 pairs of socks. So I feel like that's... Okay, they're, they're shoes. Oh, they are? <laughs> yeah. Well, with the with the, auto quali- the audio quality that I offered our listeners, it's no <laughs> wonder I didn't know that they weren't shoes. Um, yeah, they're shoes. But I was also very impressed with your skills. And, you know, besides the big um, mess up on the the contradiction kind of of the gifts, I felt like I was like a B plus. Well, you could start a podcast called Contradiction. I would definitely come on out as a guest. I have plenty of those. Well, this week's podcast is with mom. So how do you feel about that? Is she on the phone right now? No. Do you want me to loop her in? She's no. making she's mm. making chili. No. What, when, are, when are you talking to her? I already talked to her. We talked about Roy Moore, Richard Nixon, and then we sort of talked. We talked a little bit about the Alexa story too. Um, although we didn't. Oh. Did, what was your takeaway from when Mom wanted an Alexa and we wouldn't? And I, I refused to let her have it. Um, that she really valued your opinion, and so that was that. All right, fair enough. Well, what did you think of Max's performance? I got some thumbs down from people who live with me who are also listeners. I didn't listen to it. Oh, man. He's really going to take that personally. <laughs> All right. When was it? It's been a busy week. It has nothing personal to do to, the, to him. Did you get all your shopping done? Um, almost all of it. Um, Nathan should be on. All right. Well, tell him. To, has he listened? Uh, no, but he'll definitely listen to mom. Well, if he listen, if, if he did listen, he would live in Australia because I'm seeing that a huge percentage of our listeners live in Australia or are Russian bots. So either way, <laughs> we'll take the hits. All we're trying to do is pass Rick Steves here on Landline Podcast. Goodbye. Signing out. You're listening to Landline. All right, that's it. Let's get back to the show. Check that episode out on SoundCloud iTunes, Stitcher. Check me out on Yelp, landlinepodcast.yelp.com. Also, call the landline, 503-894-8480. That's 
503-894-8480. So, I mean, what is it like to have somebody like me as your son? Does it worry you that I'm so anti-technology and anti-advancement of society through these new means? Or do you, I mean... I want you not... I want... It goes back to exactly what I said in the beginning. Let's not take such extreme positions. Let's try, instead of being black and white, and part of being black and white, this goes back to sort of Vietnam, part of being black and white about something is you don't, you're not, there's, you aren't discovering the gray. And the gray is the most important thing. The place where you can see something about that's good about the other side or where you can see that right and wrong are not necessarily easy to find. Well, that's why I started a Yelp account. It's my only social media account. You can follow me on Yelp at landlinepodcast.yelp.com. But mom, listen to, listen to this listen to this quote. It's from today. It's from CNBC today. It's actually um, in a lot of newspapers today because I, I want to drill down on this black and white. Another former Facebook executive has spoken out about the harm the social network is doing to civil society around the world. Chamath Palihapita, sorry, I screwed that up, who joined Facebook in 2007 and became its vice president for user growth, said he feels, quote, tremendous guilt about the company he helped make. I think we have created tools that are ripping apart the social fabric of how society works, he told an audience at Stanford Graduate School of Business before re- recommending people take a hard break from social media. So if, if you're me and you think that you see things a little bit quicker than everyone else because you just have a little – you were born with a lot of things wrong, but the one thing you were born with super, superhuman power about was sort of being perceptive above trend, ahead of trend, and you've been seeing for years that social media is a bad idea – and just now there seems to be a bubbling, you know, discourse in the media about how social media might not be all the ups that everyone thought it would be and that the Internet in general might be a net negative for people. And you see everyone around you using technology as if nothing's wrong. I mean, this is an argument we got into last Christmas when you wanted an Alexa and we can tell that story. But my fundamental point of view is I just don't get why everybody does it. There's nothing out there. I mean, more people are abstinent. More people choose never to have sex than choose never to use the Internet or use. Is that true? Well, of course, there's whole worlds of people who never have sex or like, look, there's monks. Do you see any monasteries of people who don't use iPhones? The monks don't use the Internet. That's right. And they don't have sex. Okay. All right, fine. So there's a nice Venn diagram there of people who don't have sex and don't use the Internet. I mean, maybe that's what I need to do is stop having sex and I'll hang out with people who don't use the Internet. So my question is, what if, you know, you is there a gray area in the Vietnam War? Like, I feel that the gray area was the people like me who were young. And in the first um, protest I went to, I was. Uh, I think I was still in high school. I might have been my freshman year in college. Mom, Mom and Dad forbade me to go, and I went anyway. And um, the whole thing was, and over the years there were more and more of them, and they were wonderful because they gave you a sense of belonging to something and having power and 
and being part of a community, of course, none of that was really true. But that's the way those marches feel, and I think they're wonderful for people. I think they, when you're in despair, they give you hope. But they were very disrespectful. We were disrespectful of the pe- of the people who went and fought in Vietnam, and I am shamed by that now. Mm. But I was too young to understand and too black and white. So what is the black and white with technology? If you, you know, go, this is directly related to Roy Moore. This is why Donald Trump got elected. Whether we believe it or not, or whether we, we can believe it or not, the reality is that we think that technology is only a force for spreading the New York Times and spreading, you know, hope and Kickstarter companies for artisan coffee brewers and, you know, finding out which has the best sushi restaurant. It's like... All of the evil forces that people are fighting against around the world are also using technology. Like, what about the ISIS beheading videos? What about all the, like, dark forum areas where people like that guy who blew himself up in the Port Authority are learning this hideous, you know, brand of hate? And and how are we – are we just hoping that people are fundamentally good and therefore technology will support fundamental goodness? Because right now we had the Russian government – whether or not you believe all the Mueller stuff, we can fundamentally see that the Russian government was buying Facebook ads and that people were too, excuse my language, fucking stupid to figure out what was true and what was false and wonder whether or not they should actually get their political inspiration off something that people use to share their cat videos on. Nobody's asking whether this is the right way to disseminate information. To If they're too, you know, there was an article... This gentleman who I just talked about basically said that people are confusing politics with popularity, and they don't know how to keep the two separate. So, okay. uh, everything that you're saying is absolutely true, and I don't disagree with you on any of it. What I it's uh, what I want to know is what can we do about it? What can you do about it? Well, I can get at least 900 people to listen to this podcast because I'm trying to pass Rick Steves on the rankings. Oh, <laughs> okay. That's something. But it might, be li- it might be preaching to the choir. I mean, there is no choir. That's the thing. I preach to nobody. And I, the only way I... Pre- and I have a cell phone that I'm texting my friends with all the time. Our brains have been overtaken. Like, okay, but Alex, I, I, this is what happens. You become so... Um, what's the right word? Uh, you're so passionate, but that's not the right word, but passionate about the way that you feel that you are, that you aren't allowing or thinking you're only talking about how bad it is, how, and everything you're saying is absolutely true, but, but it exists and it's, the present, and this is the way it is. So what are we going to do about it? You have a little boy who, before you know it, is going to be crying about not having a cell phone or not being able to go out to dinner and use an iPad to keep himself occupied while you guys look at your cell phones. 
Yeah, I, 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 well, I mean, it's your fault. It, you, you had me, you know, I don't know why, but my great, I'm, not, I'm just trying to, no, I'm, I'm, I hear you. I think you're making great points and I'm, this is great podcast. That's why I wanted to engage on such a conflicting level because ultimately the issue, I can't move to a woods and turn into Vigo Mortensen in that movie that I've never seen. And I can't. I don't want to become like ultra technology, but I also, you know, you talk about that moment in your life where you started not giving up because I'm not criticizing you at all about that idea of like you didn't have the time to engage politically the way that you used to. And I'm feeling that already. And I feel that it will only increase as the pressure to make money and having new children and, you know, having to make adult, quote unquote, adult capitalistic decisions, you know, bears down on me. So. It's it's a really it's it can be a, a kind of a sad and depressing inflection point for people who were once motivated to change things to realize that they're just one of the people who's going to follow along. And you can, but then look what happened when look at what happened to me when um, Howard Dean ran. I mean, I completely took up my life with going back to to back to politics. And that was awesome, but I could because I didn't have responsibilities. I mean, your responsibility now, you and Anna, your your biggest responsibility is to raise Homer to be a fine young man. And un- right? yeah, and unfortunately, that you know, that's also being polite, and that's also just kind of swimming with all the other fish. And no, you the- don't have to do that if you don't want to. You don't have to. Well, why do you think it is that I find the one thing that is unsolvable and choose to spend my time trying to like fix it or complain about it in my head? I think that it, I think it it well, I don't know why you do, but I think it really upsets you. I think it's something you're passionate about. And I remember saying to you back, I think it was when we were having the Alexa conversation, but I I believe I'm sorry that you lost your yen or faith in politics because I think you would be a great politician and I don't mean president of the United States I mean you I don't know what Portland's you know city system is but running for neighborhood politics I also think you would be a fabulous lobbyist because you have this passion for something but you have no way to do anything about it well i it's just it if you know if if we want to start an anti-cell phone lobby i don't know how much money we can raise it's going to be hard we have to go door to door and collect the money in, in paper envelopes no but i mean you have there this is all part of a, a spirit of of actually it honestly it goes back to to a spirit of what is community and and you know people like to say that for some people facebook is a community when they're isolated and blah 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 but basically we all need community we all need people we can count on places we can go where we feel comfortable with other people and so that's really what you're speaking to is substituting you know I mean, what is it about me that every time I go, I cannot be on Facebook anymore, it disgusts me for various reasons of when people are just so, on both sides, 
vitriolic about the president. It's just not helpful. Would you would you consider quitting Facebook? Well, that's what I mean. Every time I think of doing that, then something comes through that is an informational thing for me that is just worth its weight in gold. Do you feel like you couldn't get it in other means? I don't know how I would get it because it's actually part of them figuring out what I'm interested in. Them being, fa- you know what I mean? Yeah, I get it. I mean, it's a, it's just one big FOMO. Facebook is just the biggest FOMO of all time. That's the issue with it. All right, let's switch gears quickly. Okay. What, there's this sort of common, and it's really at the heart of what a hipster is, I think. And, you know, I think if anyone who's ever kind of worn a sports hat from their college saw me, they would assume I am a hipster, although I kind of declare that I'm not for some stupid reason. But anyways, there's this trend among hipsters when they go to their, you know, grandparents' country house and cook a crab feast with local farmers' heirloom tomatoes and, you know, make signature cocktails. There's this whole um, revisiting youth with landlines in the house and cell phone service doesn't work and there's board games and you build a fire and maybe you play kickball or foursquare and eat out at the picnic table and... There's there's kind of this this lost innocence that you get to revisit and it's so fleeting but also fun and it's so special. Do you look that was your life. I mean, that was your life until 2002. You, you know, we had we we I dad taught me how to play cribbage and um we would always eat outside in the late summer at home and um you know, I because of where we were in the summers as kids, we could ride our bikes and knock on our friends' houses. And I mean, do you miss that life? Is that just a vision of our generation wishing something to be different than it is now? Do you can you tell us about sort of that landline world that we're we're missing, and whether or not it's actually as good as we hope it to be? Well, I mean, one last thing. Last thing. <laughs> Think about the fact that it's very unlikely that Homer will ever have to either call or answer the phone and talk to somebody's mother before he gets to talk to his friend. That that whole idea of creating a polite and good son or daughter by having manners and saying, may I please speak to, is gone. Because everyone will just text or message or use their cell phone. Well, I never really thought about that. That's a really that's a really um, sort of interesting thing. It would cause great anxiety in my life. I mean, I wish Brucey were on this landline to, like, call her family and go, oh, hi, Mrs. Larkin, may I speak, please speak to Brucey? I mean, it wasn't any fun to do that. Yeah, but isn't also, that fear Isn't that fear and anxiety something we all need to have? It's like asking somebody out on a date for the first time. If you don't get maybe, those... But look, you had to do that with... Mrs. Benty, and then you went and had the party without her, you know. I mean, that's, like, it doesn't necessarily mean that you end up being respectful or do the right thing. Sorry to go back to that, but I'll never get over it. That was just one of many parties we had. I know, but that wasn't right. Okay, well, fair fair enough. I mean, it wasn't all great, but let's get back to the card playing and what it was like to entertain your children without screens, without cable television, without clickers. You had to get up to change the channel. Well, I think you mean not me as a child, but you as a child? Yeah, because this is about me, obviously. Yeah, of course. Um, I think it was great. I mean, I think we were so lucky because we were in between 
like you guys certainly had your sports and you went to your sports and they took up time. But I seem to remember that, as you just said, we ate a lot of meals together and you, when it was a snow day or whatever, which it was today, you guys were outside or playing with Stefan or, you know, it was not a chore for me. Snow days weren't chores. You guys knew how to entertain yourselves, right? Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember always going outside. It was We were in Bend this weekend, and there were moments where I was outside in the cold, and I was so exhilarated by being outside in the cold. It's such a luxury to sort of have adventures in the winter. You feel so alive and so sort of, I don't know, in some ways vulnerable to the conditions on Earth, almost like a hurricane. Um, yeah, well, it's all those are adventures. Like walking today in the snow down in, by the river was just absolutely spectacularly beautiful. Unbelievably beautiful. But I, I think some of that is gone because I'm not sure why, because I think, there's, I think people are bored more easily now. But you're not, you don't. You're not living your life at 60-something years old wishing things used to be the way they were. Um, no, I've never been like that. I've always been, I'm waiting for the time when I'm not happy at the time that I'm in. I'm sure if I need a hip replacement or some physical thing happens to me, that will be the time where I go, damn, I wish it was five years ago. But I don't think like that very much. I, I mean, I don't think Dad and I live very differently from the way we used to live when you guys were little. Well, he's single-handedly keeping the Boston Globe alive, so I would say that's probably true. Exactly. And yes, I have a cell phone and a computer, and I enjoy those things. And But I, I sort of feel like... Um, We've, you know, and especially in Nantucket, without television and all that, we've kind of, we've managed to um, hang on. Do I you, think. Do you do you want to just vent a little bit about what it's like to be married to someone who doesn't have a smartphone? Maybe the other oh, side I of the coin. And it, I really can't stand it. And it, it, it because it's so difficult. So, so this goes back to what I said to you before about this is the reality is we live in a world of smartphones so when you're trying to communicate with somebody and it's not i'm not trying to communicate to say constantly you know about stupid things i but if you can't find him and you want to know where it is his phone he never answers his phone the texts don't come and now um, I just think it's, it, you have to be, unfortunately for me, it makes me feel that he, that he isn't willing to challenge himself to learn about what's new. And in fact, that's true. And do you, that's probably part of my whole landline persona, right? That he's in some ways he might not be as, it's almost like I have his, rejection of the future with your with your ability to talk uh, right. <laughs> about it yeah but you know rejecting rejecting the, the future is not going to do you any good and i just 
saw this wonderful play um, this weekend, and I think I have the line right. I should have written it down because this happens to me all the time. But I think the line was, change takes courage. And it's true. You have to be courageous and, and accept the way things are and then accept that the change that's coming. You sound like you're doing a TED conference on Twitter right now. I mean, you should be hired by a Silicon Valley um, social media firm to do their branding. I mean, like, change takes courage, but that's a great way of just packaging up all of this bullshit that are changing our brains and making our so- social fabric fall apart and making it sound like something that we all need to get behind. Well, you can use it any way you want. In the play, it was being used by an autistic man to talk about his situation. He didn't care about cell phones and all that. He was just talking about change. Change like having to live in a different apartment or um, to have to learn a new skill or not about technology. He actually could do technology because he was, you know, a brainiac. All right, that's a low blow, Mom, bringing up an autistic kid for your side of the argument. I'm not gonna, No, no, no. Gonna he wasn't that. a kid. He was a man. But it was like he – that was the point of this play was that from the mouths of people who can distill everything down to its basics comes this brilliant nugget. All right. It, it takes courage to pack up a ho- your house and move to another house. All right, let's. We're going to wrap up here in the next ten minutes. Uh, tell us about any holiday meals that you're excited about. Do you have any cooking tips? You're the best cook I know, and a lot of what I've learned is from you. So, can you just give oh. give any people some cooking tips for the upcoming season? I don't. I'm I'm a little baffled and trying to take this is change takes courage. Take on the challenge of just having Dad and me for Christmas, not Christmas Eve because we'll be with Judy. And like, what are the foods that I care about because dad is a very good receiver and will eat whatever I present and be happy about it. But like I was just looking at cookies. What is one or what are one or two cookies I'd like to make? Not a lot of them. Or what what are the foods that really matter to me? What about those cookies that you sort of, the one on top has a hole in it and you put jam in between and then powdered I can't do, they're too labor-intensive Linzer torts. Do you like Linzer cookies? No, Linzer hearts or whatever. Do you like those? Well, I think that they're, you know, sweet and delicious, but not necessarily too fattening or custardy or anything. I mean, it's like a simple holiday cookie. I'd say it's traditional and relatively authentic, wouldn't you? Yes, but it's sort of my definition, my spin on that are thumbprint cookies. So I think I'm going to make those. I think that... The holidays definitely have food, or have so much food association with them. And I think everybody, no matter whether they're Christian, Muslim, or Jewish, should make potato pancakes. Mm. So tell us your steps. Well, that'll be your one big recipe. I don't know how. You have to look it up. You grate the potatoes. Like with a cheese grater? Yeah. Do you soak them to get rid of the starch? I don't know. You have to look. Any recipe will do. Well, why are you suggesting? Oh, because you cook it right from the recipe is what you're saying. Yeah. And it's all about oil. So you put the oil in the pan and you fry them, and then people serve them with applesauce and sour cream. 
and they're not hard. I think that ultimately you're probably soaking them to get rid of the starch. You're mixing them with a little flour and egg and salt and pepper, and you're frying them in an oil that has a high smoke point like peanut. Right, but you want the oil. The, oil, the point of it is the oil because of the Hanukkah lamp. And I, I was going to say, if they were running out of oil for the Hanukkah lamp, how did they make the potato pancakes? But that was the point. They didn't run out of oil. That's the miracle. But maybe if they hadn't used so much for the potato pancakes, they would have had more. <laughs> that's true. So I think that's really important. And I think just whatever, you, you know, for people to just think about what food memories they're going to pass on to their children. So whatever you think about um, cooking at think at Christmas, that part of those are probably passed on from me or mama and dad or whatever. I'm sort of in a cooking funk right now, so I'll have to get my chops back up. We've been eating a lot of takeout, which is sort of embarrassing. Um, all right. Well, the last thing is about gifts. So Phoebe did a great podcast. I want to plug it now for all of you who are listening on Landline Podcast, either on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can always call the Landline, 503-894-8480. Leave a message. We'll play it on the show, or I'll even answer like the credit card services woman who called right before the show. Um, the gift that I would like you to buy me this year, um, and you're a woman of some means at this stage in your life, is can a... Can I just say the box is already gone? All right, so, well, you can just order this direct off eBay. I need a used phone booth so I can do this podcast. Oh. <laughs> okay. Like Anything a, for you, Aldo. A British one where I can close the oh. door and have the microphone set up. How, how fun would that be? Do you think I would pack, pass Rick Steves? God, I can never say his name. Do you think I could pass Rick Steves if I was doing my podcast out of a phone booth? Maybe. Maybe. And Portland is the perfect weather for it. You wouldn't be too cold. Okay, so where are you going to watch the election returns? MSNBC? I'm having a lot of anxiety. I think what I'm going to do is hold off until 9 o'clock and tune in to Rachel. But I think we have to understand that what happens in Alabama is in Alabama. Well, not everyone listening is a Democrat, but I'll say that for those of us out there who want things to get better politically, that I wonder if Roy Moore winning is actually a step in the right direction, because then things have to get it's almost like everybody needs to be starving before they go out and That's look look correct. for more food. That is correct. So it's now up to the Senate to either um you know, investigate him when he gets there or whatever. People have to start standing up for what they believe in. Which John McCain and Jeff Flake and uh, Bob Corker have all done. So Right, and Susan Collins. Good on them. Um, yeah. Do you think Trump's going to last all four years? He could have a heart attack. He could resign. Not a healthy man. I don't know what's wrong with him, but I don't think he's healthy. Um, what kind I don't of cookie, know, what kind of cookies I, do you think honestly, he's getting? Honestly, unless he's going to, you know, start bombing um, North Korea, I feel as if I'd like him to stay for four years so we can then make a clean change. I think it won't be a good thing if he gets removed under suspicious circumstances. I just don't. And also, if he, if there, if he tries to interfere in the Mueller investigation or get rid of him or whatever, I would hope that we would all take to the streets. 
All right. Well, just to cap to, to cap this conversation off, do you th so as far as you can tell, the combination of technology and constant news sources makes this specific political climate different and more, I guess, dramatic than any other you've been a part of. Yes. And you felt that even Nixon like what else would what else would be in that world? I mean, you were born in the late 40s. So who was your first president of record that you actually paid attention to? John F. Kennedy? Probably. So, I mean, no, was Reagan was just a president that you disagreed with politically, basically. Yeah. So it's, I, I, so Trump has have, Trump has my party. Right. But I don't that doesn't mean that I. I think we have to start, I think even then, you have to start seeing the good that people do, even if you don't agree with them. Did you used to watch The Apprentice? Yes. And you liked it, didn't you? Yeah, I thought it was very entertaining. Well, there the you first, are. The first season. I'm not sure I went, and I watched when Angela was on it, you know, Celebrity Apprentice, but I didn't go... Uh, beyond, you know, I don't think I watched very many seasons. All right. Any parting words for our listeners for this holiday season? No, just remember what it's really all about and don't get stressed. All right. Thanks for being on the podcast, Mom. I love you. I love you too, honey. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, thanks for listening. Tell your friends, Australia. Tell your friends. I'd love to become a star in Australia. Who wouldn't? 894-8480-503-894-8480. Call Landline. Leave messages. Landline Podcast. See you next Tuesday. Sorry, it's Thursday, but it fits in. So see you next Tuesday. All right, bye. You're listening to Landline.